Uh, in the liturgy, it mentioned that something about gathering for hours, I believe. Uh, we will not be gathering for hours, so don't worry if some of you were concerned about that. Also, in a moment, too, I, was, I stepped out while you guys were worshiping, and I came back in. I sat down, and I was like, man, people are really having a hard day. To, like, no one's singing. Like, it's a rough, I was like, oh, yeah, we can't, we can't sing. Um, miss that. Also, I've missed uh, meeting together like this in person. Uh, in the early days of COVID, I, I didn't mind the online thing, but I, I've just grown to really hate it. So uh, it's just good to be in person with you. Uh, so thanks for being here this morning. Uh, okay, so we, are, we were going to do a series on the, the trellis, and this will continue to remain here, uh, even while we're not talking about it. But uh, JF built that for us for the series that we're not doing yet, but we will do it. But uh, can you also be praying for JF uh, as well as he's uh, in his travels? Um, Mark, sorry, what's that? I believe he's already there. Someone correct me if I'm wrong, though. He's back already. Oh, there you go. He's going back again. Okay, thank you. Back and forth. Um, Mark 2, there's a great story in Mark 2 where uh, there are so many people wanting to see this person called Jesus because of all the things he's been doing. To the point where the crowd has gotten so big at the house that they've now ripped, four friends rip a hole in the ceiling in order to lower their friend down in to see Jesus. Because the crowd is so big, they can't even get through the front door. In Mark uh, 3, verse 7, you see a picture of Jesus and his disciples. They go out uh, on a lake because the crowds are so big, uh, they need to escape the crowds. And the crowd actually follows them around the lake because they're just so enamored by what Jesus is doing. They, what is this Jesus guy up to? There's also a part in there where Jesus says, find a boat because the crowds are so big, I'm afraid we're going to get crushed. Okay? And then in Mark 3.20, the crowds get so big in the house that the disciples didn't have time to eat their food because the crowds were getting so big and it was just becoming so overwhelming that they didn't have time to eat. And we all know the story uh, where Jesus feeds the 5,000 and the 4,000, which is a super spreader in the making. Uh, but we see a massive crowd formed here. Now, I've been in ministry, you know, if you count my, like, early high school leadership endeavors, uh, I've been in ministry for, like, 20 years. And I've never had this problem <laughs> of the crowds being so great that I need to find a boat to escape or my private jet to be escorted off to because I'm about to get crushed. And oftentimes, uh, in, in my career and probably in a lot of other pastors' careers, uh, we have a hard time convincing people to even come and hear what we're saying. In the t- like we're trying to convince people to come and see us, right? To, to come and hear what, what God is saying uh, through his word. And it, it gets to the point where even a lot of pastors, I should say a lot, some, a handful of pastors, you know, we, we then begin to bribe people to come. It gets so bad that we have to bribe people to come to our services to hear what God is saying, right? You, if you bring a friend, We'll put your name in a raffle, and we'll get, you could win an iPad, right? We're giving away iPads and AirPods and free cars in order to get people to gather as a crowd. But here we see 
over and over again in the early days of Jesus' ministry the opposite problem, <laughs> the complete opposite problem. Jesus didn't have a problem trying to get people to, to come to him. He had a problem of escaping them. So what is it? What was Jesus doing that was so profound, such a big deal, that he was drawing such large crowds to the point where he had to like get a boat to escape so he wouldn't get crushed? To the point where people were drilling holes in ceilings in order to come and see him. What was he doing that was so different? He wasn't providing iPads if you brought a friend. Jesus was... Here's, here's what he's doing. He was teaching people how to escape hell and was giving them permission through the grace of God that they could live however they want. Is that what he was saying? No. He wasn't teaching about hell and heaven in that same way that we do. Jesus was teaching, proclaiming, and manifesting the kingdom of God. If you look at Acts 1, the, the, well, I think we kind of miss this verse. In Acts 1, when Jesus comes back, right, when Jesus appears, sorry, comes back from the dead and he appears to his disciples, it says for, for a long, for I think 40 days, I think it's 40 days, he's talking about the kingdom of God to his disciples. Not, not get out of hell free cards, but the, but the kingdom of God. That's the first thing he's talking about. It's the first thing he's talking about in his ministry in the beginning of all the Gospels is the kingdom of God. And so the question we have to ask ourselves is, what makes the kingdom of God so good? Why is it so appealing that it, again, draws these crowds? If it wasn't the get-out-of-hell-free card, what was it that he was saying that was so appealing? One of the questions we kind of have to, you know, talk about before we get into that question is, you know, what is the kingdom of God, Right? What, what exactly is it? Uh, Willard defines, I have to bring up Willard at least once today, uh, Dallas Willard defines it as the range of God's effective will. I think this is a slide. Yeah, awesome. Thanks, Holly. Uh, where, uh, where what God wants done is done. That is the kingdom of God. It's the, the action of God. Whatever God wants done is done. And here's the, here's the other uh, here's the reality for all of us, is we all have our own kingdom too. God has his kingdom, and we also have our own kingdom. I don't know if you realize this or not, but you, you, are, you have a kingdom, a queendom, a personendom. You have a kingdom of some sort. Uh, there's a, I, I think I might have shared this story before. Uh, when I was in kindergarten, uh, I remember very clearly. I felt like I was in kind of in charge of the in charge of recess of the playground at that time. It was my kingdom. And I remember sitting at the top of sitting at the top of a, this slide. It was like a frog slide on the outside. It was like a these metal tubes that looked in the shape of a frog. It was a large, thick slide, and I was standing on top of this uh, slide. There was, a, there was a kid down below who I did not like. Audrey, don't get any ideas. I did not like this. This kid, I, I don't remember why he, I didn't like them, but I just did not like them. And so in my kingdomness, as, as king of the, the, the playground, I literally said to this other kid, you, I want you to go kick him from, from, my, from my high throne. And this kid did it. I actually, I was, I was kind of in shock that they 
that they, they listened to me in the first place, but they went right over, boom, we this other kid right in the shins. He, went, he goes down. I get called to the office. They get called to the office, and the whole thing. It was like the first time I ever got in trouble at school, right? I was in kindergarten. I was the king of my kingdom. We all have our own kingdoms. That was my domain. Uh, in Genesis, we talk about, you know, we're, we're made, a lot of times, we talk about being made in the image of God. Everyone, everyone's heard that phrase, we're made in the image of God. What's one of the things that makes us made in the image of God? Does anyone know? Why, why are we made in the image? Like, what, are some, what, are the, like, what is it about us that, is, that matches the image of God? Like, what is the image of God in us? What's that? Yeah, yeah. We're, we have a, uh, a spiritual side to us, yes? A certain amount of sovereignty, right? We have dominion, right? G- uh, God says to Adam, I'm giving you reign over the earth, essentially, over creation, what I just created. I'm giving you reign over it, right? And we, he gets to name all the animals and uh, kind of takes care of the, the earth and, and the things that God has just created. And, and, and Scripture says that the word reign, actually it uses the word reign in there. We have dominion. So each and every one of us, part of the image of God in us is that we have dominion. We get to have our own little kingdom. We can decide what to do with that. We have uh, rule over some things as human beings, whether it be at a larger scale or even as a, you know, at a personal level, whether it be your, uh, a recess um, a playground or your work or your family, there is dominion. We have a sense of what we are in charge of and what we're not in charge of. We, know, we tend to know what uh, is ours and what is not ours and what we rule over. And how I can prove that to you, I'm not going to because we're in COVID right now, but if we weren't in COVID, I would walk over to Catherine's bag and I would start going through that bag without even asking her. I start rummaging through it, and, and, and if, I went through, if I went over and I started like reaching into your pocket and trying to pull your phone out, if I, went, if I just took your phone, the sense of, oh, geez, like that's mine, would begin to rise up, I would think. Or if I started going through Catherine's bag, there'd be a sense of like anxiety building, because that's hers, right? That's part of her kingdom. That's her domain. Does that make sense? We all have a sense of that in us. It, that would violate Catherine's kingdom, queendom. And at, the, you know, at, a, world, at, a, at a larger level, every, all the conflict that we experience, as she, see, she's so, she's so mad about it, she's leaving. <laughs> You're not touching my bag, I'm out of here. Um, we have, I mean, this, is, this is like human like, stuff 101, right? Like all the wars, all the conflicts that we come across, experience in the news, uh, personal conflicts that we have, that all comes back to our kingdoms, our queendoms clashing with other peoples. It all comes back to the clashing of kingdoms. Whether it be family conflict that we have, there's... uh, you know, family members that we're, we are in conflict with, conflict with because of our kingdom and their kingdom. 
Uh, there's country conflicts because of the clashing of kingdoms. Satan has his own kingdom because he wanted to rule his own thing, right? So he left heaven and wanted to create his own kingdom. Kids have their own kingdom. We all have our own. So uh, not, my kids would never do this. Right? Hey, hey guys. <laughs> look at that. You're so cute over there. Yeah, look at that. But kids are very, they give a great picture of what it looks like to have your own kingdom. I mean, again, my kids would never do this, but uh, when, they, when one of them finds a toy that they haven't seen in five years, and they see their sibling pull it out from underneath the bed that's, you know, their bed that's been hiding for five years, their first reaction is say, that's mine! That's my toy! I want it back! Because that's part of their kingdom. They know exactly what they're in charge of. They know exactly what they own. They know exactly what they rule. Again, not you guys. No. <laughs> Thumbs up. So by default, everything falls under the rule and reign, the kingdom of God. But here's, here's the little caveat I want to keep in mind is that everything falls under the rule and reign of God's kingdom except for human beings in some ways because we naturally choose, naturally choose not to live in the range of God's effective will. We choose whether or not we will live underneath God's, in, in God's kingdom or not. And we as human beings naturally do not want to live in God's kingdom. That, that would violate our kingdom because we have our own kingdom we want to maintain and our own kingdom that we want to rule and do what we want. Where we want done is done. We go back to that definition. So for us to give over our kingdom to God's kingdom, whoa, we don't do that naturally. But here's, here's the crazy part, is that God has given a place for human beings in his kingdom. God has made a place for us to live in his kingdom, not only just to live there and be part of it, but to thrive in it and to experience a goodness that we cannot have on our own, that we cannot have in our own kingdom. Some of us have tried to maintain and live and work our own kingdom, and it has not gone so well. We've all been there. We've all tried. At some point, it usually begins to fall apart somewhere. We scramble to find something else to, to build the walls back up of our kingdom. But something else hits us. And you know, we can talk about you know, original sin and, and uh, you know, de um, human depravity and, and all that kind of stuff. Because at the end of the day, this is, this is the source of everything. All the, all the conflict that we have with God comes back down to the fact that we want to rule our own kingdom, and that we do not want to take part in God's kingdom. And oftentimes, we, we naturally we don't think about what it means to live in God's kingdom. The key word there is think to think about it. 
The key to the kingdom is our will. The key to God's kingdom is our will. How we think about our kingdom and God's kingdom. That is the key to the kingdom. Not only do we have our own kingdoms that we're always, you know, thinking about and trying to maintain, but we also have other kingdoms out there in the world who are also saying, hey, be part of this kingdom. Be part of this thing. This, 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 this kingdom will give you life. This kingdom will give you joy. This kingdom will give you something that you are aching for. The thing that inside of you that we've been talking about, this idea of spiritual formation, the heart, the will, we have something for you that will fix that. And these are just some examples. There's many other examples out there of kingdoms, but these kingdoms that I'm about to say, they all have to answer three questions, three of them. Who is well off or blessed? Who is genuinely a good person? And how does one become a genuinely, genuinely good person? All the, all the kingdoms about to tell you, they all answer this question in their own way, these questions in their own way. So the first one is, you know, the scientific kingdom. The human kingdom can rule itself as long as we continue to gain knowledge through through science, technology, medicine, the tangible. If we can just advance that, we can be self-sufficient and maintain our human kingdom. We can think about, uh, I'm not sure what a good word for this would be, but you know, like new age spirituality. We can maintain and thrive in our human kingdoms by pursuing inner enlightenment. If we can unlock our inner strength then we'll be able to maintain our kingdom. We can rule our own kingdom more effectively. Relativism. We just allow people to live out their truths, and if we just keep each other's kingdoms alone and never interfere other people's kingdoms, just let people do what they want, whatever they think is right, we'll be okay. If everyone just can do their own thing, and you don't tell me what I can, can and cannot do, give me some space, then we'll be all right. Your kingdom will be fine. My kingdom will be fine. We can move on. There's many other different types of kingdom stories out there, but each and every one of them try to answer those three questions. Who is well off? who is a good person, and how you become a good person. But then Jesus shows up and he says, hold the phone. There's another kingdom I want you to think about. There's another kingdom at play that is both here and now, but also not yet. We're going to look at a very simple verse this morning, Matthew 4, 17. Some of you heard this before. So this is before, you know, this is like really, kind of in the beginning of his ministry. Jesus says this, repent of your sins, turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near, or, or at hand. Repent of your sins, turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. The word uh, repent here, oftentimes we think of this verse as like the guy in the street corner, <laughs> right? Uh, Rob Bell, Georgiana, I'm not quoting Rob Bell, don't worry. 
But he talks, he has a whole series on, you know, the guy in the street corner who has a megaphone. Repent, right? Repent. Heaven, uh, judgment is near and all this kind of stuff. The word repent here is, the, is a Greek word. It's metanoia. Anyone heard that word before? Metanoia. Think, so what this, what this word means here is think about your thinking. That's what, that's what this, word, this word repent here means. Think about your thinking. How do you think about your kingdom? How you think about your kingdom right now is what is controlling you. How you think about your kingdom is leading you to take the actions that you are taking right now. And Jesus is saying, whoa, all I'm asking you to do is think about your thinking. Because there's a better kingdom at hand. There's a better kingdom. There's a kingdom here that is near to you. And who is he referring, or what is he referring to when he says at hand there? What is, what is the kingdom at hand? Himself. He's talking about himself. Jesus is saying, I'm, I'm right, I am the kingdom right here, right now. In, in, in this person, Jesus, we find the kingdom. Think about your thinking. How you think about your kingdom is controlling you. It's trapping you. It's sucking the life out of you. It's killing you. This is not like a condemning statement from Jesus. He's trying to say, that what you're doing, you're, the kingdom that you're trying to control right now is not working out. There's a better kingdom at hand. And how you think about that is important. Repentance comes out of a vision of life in the kingdom of God and unloading my kingdom. When I begin to think about my thinking, think about how I think about my kingdom, I begin to unload my kingdom off to the side and take on and live in God's kingdom, that's when I begin to experience a life that uh, science, which is good, I'm not against science, I'm not one of those pastors who's against science, but science, relativism, uh, new age spiritual stuff, anything you want to put in there, I don't care. Those things will not give you. Only the kingdom of God will give you. So why is the kingdom of God so good? Why is the kingdom of God so good? Because if you follow the life of Jesus at all, and if we believe that the kingdom of God is wrapped up in the person of Jesus Christ, if you follow his life, if you read the New Testament at all, you'll see how good it looks to live in the kingdom. Because he is the example of what it looks like to live in the kingdom. His whole life is that. Through Jesus, we see captives being set free. There's no more pain. The lost are found. You are not abandoned. People are healed. Sins are forgiven. Death is conquered. Now, we see that all through Jesus. He actually shows it to us. It's not just a, an idea out there. He actually reveals it to us through himself. It's not just a theory. It's a person 
who has lived it out. Okay, so we got a very quick snapshot of what the kingdom is. A very quick snapshot of why it's good. And we don't have time this morning to go through all that, but if you just read the life of Jesus, you will see why the kingdom of God is so good. But the question still remains like, okay, so how do I I begin to think about my thinking, though? That's the question I'm having. So I, I understand the kingdom of God is good. I believe the kingdom is found in Jesus. And I believe all these things, but how do I actually find it? How do I actually figure out how to live that life? How do I actually live in the kingdom of God as he is saying here? How do I actually think about my thinking? How do you go from just knowing about the kingdom to actually living it out? I'm going to make this as relatable as possible to you as New Brunswickers. Uh, the first time I've ever been in Canada, the first time I've ever been in Canada, I was a child. I was, I don't know, maybe seven. I don't, I'm not sure, but I was, I was young. My parents took me to the most boring place in the world, and it's located right here in New Brunswick. I don't know if you know this or not. As a child, as a seven-year-old, it's the most boringest place ever. My kids have been there, and they can attest to this. They have no idea what I'm about to say. But as a, I went to a place called, can you guess it? No. Nope. That's, that's more exciting. King's Landing. Ever been to a King's Landing before? Oh, you haven't been? Yeah. Now, as an adult, I much, I much more appreciate it now. King's Landing, it's a fantastic place. It's, it's, it is, I like it. I do, I do enjoy it now. But as a child, that place is, was so boring to me. It's like, I'm just going to walk around and watch people live like they did in the olden days, like, Okay, um, and, I, and at the time, I thought that was what, how all Canada was, because that was my first experience of Canada. And now that I'm 38 years old, I'm not, I'm not totally wrong in thinking that. Um, no, I'm just joking. So, but the, the great thing about, I, I don't know why, but I do remember this about King's Landing is, uh, and I, I, I love these in general, but for some reason, this is where it all started, my passion for these, is the map. The map of King's Landing. I don't know why, that stuck out in my mind. Uh, if, you've ever been, if you've ever been, if you go to King's Landing or a place like King's Landing, they give you a map of, the, of let's just call it a kingdom, the, 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 the place in which it encircles, right? The property. And in that, in that map, though, what's great about it is that there's no like, necessarily a start or an end to that map. It's just a tour guide, if you will, that you, it kind of shows you all the different locations of where uh, different things, like where you can make butter and where the chapel is and other boring things are happening. Uh, they're, they're on that map, right? And there's no like, I mean, you can do this, but like, there's no like start and end and do all this stuff in, in order to get there. Think of it as it's like a free roaming tour guide map. Does that make sense? Yeah. Whereas other maps... If you've ever been on like a Google GPS type of thing or maps, Apple Maps, you have a map that says, I'm getting from here to here, okay? It's that kind of map too, point A to point B. I want us to think about though uh, the type of map that's just more, uh, you get to roam around in your free will, but it's also, there's points in there that we want you to take notice of, okay? That's the kind of map that I believe Jesus is setting up for us in the Sermon on the Mount. 
He's not just saying, okay, you've got to do all these things right in a row and follow from point A to point B, and this is what you get. If you want to actually learn about what the kingdom of God looks like and actually get a sense of how to actually live in the kingdom of God, the Sermon on the Mount is a great place for us to start. Jesus uses the Sermon on the Mount as a map to the kingdom. A lot of times we think of the Sermon on the Mount as a set of rules. A lot of times we think of the Sermon on the Mount as a, as, as a way for us to see that Jesus is meaner than Moses. Because Moses says this, but I'm saying it's even harder than that. That's not, his, that's not the point of this. The Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus gives that, is a, it's a map, a, a tour guide map to the kingdom of God. When you walk through the kingdom of God, this is what you can see. This is what you can, what you actually can look like and be as an apprentice of Jesus. And along the way, I'm going to show you the different points of the kingdom. The Sermon on the Mount is, uh, I kind of joke about this on the, on the, on the online uh, teaching, that, you know, it is, it is one of the best sermons, the best sermon from the smartest guy ever to live. We shouldn't take it lightly. But this, this map of the kingdom will answer for you who is well off, or other, in other words, who is blessed, it will tell you who is genuinely a, genuinely a good person, and it will also tell you how does one become a genuinely good person. Through the Sermon on the Mount, we're not only given a picture, but instructions on how to live life in the kingdom. So for the next little series here, we're going we're gonna to talk about the Sermon on the Mount for the next little while. I want you to picture this. Picture the king of the kingdom is coming down and he's walking beside you as he gives you the tour of his kingdom. That's what the Sermon on the Mount is. It's the king of the kingdom coming beside you and saying, well, I bet you're, I bet you're wondering, who's, who's allowed in my kingdom? Well, I'll tell you who's allowed in my kingdom. I'm not going to get into this right now because I'm going to take away next week's sermon. But who's, <laughs> Katie's shaking her head, don't take that from me. Uh, but who, who, who can be allowed in my kingdom? What does, what does my workplace look like in the kingdom? What does anger look like in the kingdom? And the Sermon on the Mount begins to unravel those things for us. All right. So my prayer is that you will walk alongside our tour guide in the next few months. And just listen to his every word. Watch him, learn from him, become his apprentice as he shows us what life in the kingdom looks like, as he does through the Sermon on the Mount. All right. A couple of questions for us to think about, and then we're going to wrap this up. We talked about this in our VIM, in our VIM series. Before any of us as an apprentices sign off on wanting to be an apprentice of Jesus, we have to come to the conclusion that the kingdom, of, the kingdom of God is where you even want to reside in the first place. If you don't even want to live in that kingdom, after you go through the whole Sermon on the Mount thing, after you go through all that stuff, and you come at the end of the road and you say, you know what, thanks for the tour, but I don't really understand, I don't, I don't, this is not really, I don't see the, the sell on this. Like, what, why is this so important? 
You, you actually have to wrestle with that idea. Do I even want to live and reside in the kingdom of God? Not, not someday down the road, but in the here and now. When I think about the kingdom of God, here's a question for you. After you die, would you even want to live in the kingdom of God? Would you even like it? When I think about the kingdom of heavens, kingdom of God, would I even like heaven when I get there if I'm not even ravished, enamored by it now? Does that make sense? Why would I look towards that and be excited about that if I can't even love it now? There's something for us to, to wrestle with. Something for you to wrestle with. Because a lot of the times we're looking for that, oh, I can't wait to get there. It's going to be so good and everything's going to be washed away and, and it's, it is going to be good, but you may not even like it. So this week, what I want to do, and actually for the next few weeks, I really encourage each and every one of you, this is your homework, to read the Sermon on the Mount every week. It's like two chapters, three chapters. Just read that through once a week. Begin to take the tour with the tour guide. Is my vision of who Jesus and his kingdom is, Jesus and his kingdom, worth it, worth it to me to lay aside my own kingdom? As I look at the kingdom of God, do I see it as worthy of setting aside my own kingdom? Second piece of homework, so read the Sermon on the Mount. Last piece of homework is this. As you take note of how you react to things this week, Take note of how you react, whether it be an emotion or someone, uh, maybe someone's wanting to borrow something from you, like uh, a personal belonging, maybe it's about finances. Think about how you're reacting in that moment, and I want you to ask yourself this question. Is this, am I reacting out of, you know, trying to preserve my own kingdom, or am I trying to live in the kingdom of God? And how our emotions, how we react to those situations will very clearly begin to show us where our walls of our kingdom are. How, do I, how I react to those things, how I think about my thinking, will reveal our kingdom. All right, let's pray. God, thanks for this day. God, we thank you that uh, you invite us into your kingdom. God, it's not just an idea. It's not just... Um, you know, just some good words we find uh, here in Scripture, and it's all hypothetical, hypothetical, but God is, your kingdom is both here and now and still yet to come. And God, you have made room, you have given space for us as humans to live in your kingdom. And we are very grateful for that. God, we thank you for the life of Jesus and how he shows us, whether it be through the Sermon on the Mount or through his own life, how good the kingdom of God really is. God, he shows us it's not just an idea, but you actually, you actually can live in it. So God, we ask that for each and every one of us that you would uh, give us the patience <laughs> and the courage to walk slowly with you, our tour guide, through your kingdom.
as you show us what it's like to live in it and the goodness of your kingdom. God, thank you so much for St. John Vineyard. Thank you for the people who are part of this family, whether they're here or at home watching. Thank you, God, that you have not given up on us. You have not abandoned us. But God, you are present with us even now. And we love you. We worship you. We thank you that you are God and we are not. We praise in your name. Amen.